A few weeks ago, I met with your community, well, several, that's been two months ago now, I met with our community group directors, Shane and Stephanie Red, and we were talking about new series and content to deliver to our community groups and sermon series, and we were sort of taking a team approach to what we wanted to do, and we settled on Moses. We said, hey, how about for the fall, let's do Moses, and, and there's this uh, resource, it's called Walking in the Steps of the Reluctant Prophet, and we can walk through the journey of Moses in the book of Exodus, and say, oh yeah, that sounds great. And little did I know that the reluctant prophet was me. Um, because this, uh, this decision has been with a lot of reluctance today. And, and, and so I'm sitting here preaching, I'm about to preach the call of Moses in, Moses in uh, Exodus chapter 3. And I'm like, Lord, you really have a sense of humor that, you know, we would choose this content months ago and, and here it is falling on the Sunday that I announced my resignation that, I'm going to tell you about a reluctant prophet named Moses. But that's our sermon series uh, for the next few weeks, the last one that I have with you. And it, I'm excited, I really am excited to walk through the book of Exodus with you and tell the story of Moses. And we're going to do so using a resource. It, it's called Moses in the Footsteps of the Reluctant Prophet. It's written by a pastor named Adam Hamilton. And um, community groups are going to be looking at some of this content. I, I will say that Preparing a congregation for transition um, is, uh, is, is, is something that I feel called to do in the weeks that I have with you. And so um, what, we, what we do on Sunday morning will be a little bit different than the book, um, but we're still going to be looking at the story of, of Moses over the next few weeks. And, uh, and so I'm glad you're here to begin the journey with us and, and, and am excited to share um, his story with us over, over this time. So Exodus chapter 3. Let's just read that. This is one of the moments that defined who Moses was. So let's just begin by reading that. It's Exodus chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 14. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Then the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And that is why you go to seminary right there. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. 
So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord today from the book of Exodus. And it tells a very famous story of, of, God, of Moses encountering the Lord in the burning bush. This morning, I want us to think about the God who calls. This is a story of calling. It's a theophany. It's where God breaks into the physical and calls someone to a very specific thing. You know, the Bible's full of callings. In fact, the Bible begins with this big cosmic history of how God creates the earth. It's, it's the creation story, the fall of humanity, the flood, Tower of Babel, these big larger-than-life stories. And then it gets really specific in Genesis 12. And God said to Abraham, go to a land that I will show you. God called Abraham, and Abraham obeyed, and he went. In 1 Samuel, there's another story where Samuel is with his mentor Eli, and he hears God calling. And, and Eli says to Samuel, hey, that's not me calling you. That's the Lord. The next time the Lord calls you, you should respond. Here I speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God calls Samuel, and Samuel responds with just that. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet is there with the, in the Lord's presence, and he has this vision of God. And the vision, in the vision, the Lord says, who will go for me? Who will speak for me? And Isaiah, upon hearing this calling, says, Here am I, Lord, send me. All throughout Scripture, the Lord calls. But I think my favorite story of calling is Luke chapter 1, where an angel comes to a little girl in a town called Nazareth and reveals the news to her that even though she's not married, she's going to be with child. And this child is going to be the Savior of the world and that she is to give him the name Jesus. And she says, how can this be? And the Lord reveals what he's going to do through her. And then ultimately this young girl says, in response to this call, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. We serve a God who calls. And these are examples in Scripture of what you're supposed to do when God calls you. Moses is an example in Scripture of what not to do when God calls you. We'll probably look at this a little bit next week, but Moses has one objection after another. God encounters him and calls him, 
But Moses continually has objections. It's, it's, it's really not a very good story of, of, of calling if you, if you just dig into Moses' response. It sort of reminds me of, of a, a funny call that happened to me. My friend Kevin reached out to me and he said, hey, my dad's going through a really tough time and he could use a word of encouragement from a pastor. And so w- would you call him? He's, he's got a, a really bad diagnosis and things aren't looking good and, and he could use some prayer. If you could reach out to him, that would, that would be great. So I called Kevin's dad. His name's Mike. I called Mike in California. I said, hey, and he, he answered the phone. And not wanting to be pre- pretentious, I didn't identify myself as a pastor and, and maybe I should have, but I said, hey, Mike, this is Mark. I'm, I'm Kevin's friend. Oh, hey, how you doing? Oh, doing good. And we small talked for a little bit. And I said, Mike, I just I wanted to ask how things were going. And I heard you got some bad news with the doctor this week. And I said, yeah, things aren't looking good. But he told me a little bit about that. And I said, I said well, well, Mike, how, how are you feeling? What are you thinking about these days? And he told me a little bit what he was thinking about. And I shared a little bit about the Lord with him. And then I said, Mike, can, can I pray with you? And he said, oh, yeah, sure, I guess, yeah. And so I, I prayed with Mike, and we hung up the phone. And he calls me back five minutes later. And he's like, hey, I just figured something out. You're, the, you're Kevin's pastor. I said, yeah. He said, I thought you were the real estate guy. I said, that's the worst real estate agent in the history of real estate agents. You didn't, you didn't talk to me one bit about my property I want to sell. I'm like, no, man, I'm not interested in property. Of course, I'm interested in, in heavenly property. I can, I've got uh, uh, an offer you can't refuse, but uh, no, I'm not the real estate guy. It was funny. Um, think about that. When you're talking to a pastor and you think he's a real estate person, um, that's, that, that was, it was pretty funny. We, we, we still laugh about that. But that was an example of a bad call, and really what you, what you see here in the life of Moses is one objection after another for why he can't do the thing that God is calling him to do. And yet the reason we're studying his life today is because there is no, no figure in the Old Testament more important than Moses. He dominates the narrative. In fact, Moses is mentioned in the New Testament more than any other figure, and then think about this episode in, in the Gospels in which Jesus is transfigured, in which God's presence comes down and reveals to the disciples that Jesus is the anointed of God and that, and that Jesus is, is doing something significant in salvation history. And in that transfiguration, there's two figures from the Old Testament that walk with Jesus, Elijah and Moses. And so Moses obviously figured something out But initially, when God called him, he was pretty reluctant. And the reason God called him is because the Israelites were in in quite a mess. They were slaves in Egypt. And maybe you're a little familiar with that, that history, but let me recap it briefly. And that is, God made good on his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Israelites became numerous, but they found themselves not in the land that God showed Abraham, but they found themselves in Egypt. And one of Abraham's descendants, a guy named Joseph, was a very prominent person in Egypt. God had used Joseph in a mighty way. But after a while, a pharaoh came to power who didn't know anything about Joseph, didn't know anything about who these people were, and decided, wow, we have an ethnic group of people that 
we can enslave and we can use them to fuel our economy and to make our structures and to lift us up. And so the Pharaoh enslaved the Israelites. And the Israelite life under the oppression of Pharaoh for 400 years was the same every day. You get mud, you get straw, you mix it together, you make bricks, you stack bricks on top of bricks, and you build buildings, and this is what you do seven days a week. Scholars estimate that the Israelites would have worked 18 hours a day. The average lifespan of an Israelite under the oppression of the Egyptians was 32 years. And Egypt didn't care. The Israelites were a resource to them. They didn't care uh, about them. And so here are the Israelites struggling under the bondage of slavery. And in the verse right before what we read, you get this idea that God is about to do something. Because we're introduced to Moses, who miraculously, and that's a story all in of itself, miraculously Moses is, is spared this life of slavery, ends up living a life of luxury in the palace of Pharaoh, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And one day Moses sees his fellow Israelites being mistreated. And, and when no one's looking, he, he kills the, the slave master. And he buries the body in the sand. And not too long after that, it's revealed to Moses that someone knows that he's committed murder. And now Pharaoh knows that he's committed murder. And Moses runs from the palace. He runs from this life of luxury. And in chapter 2, we pick up Moses living in the wilderness of Midian. He's met uh, a girl. He's married her. Her name's Zipporah. They give birth to a, a son. And Moses is living this life of a shepherd in Midian, far from the palace of Israel, far from the threat of, of being killed by Pharaoh for what he had done. And there he is. And you see in, in verse 23 of chapter 2, the text tells us that the Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out. And then here's the good news. Their cry for help because of their slavery, it went up to God. And when it went up to God, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked down upon the Israelites and was concerned with them. It's this verse that says, what Moses is doing here in the wilderness, he's not going to stay there. God's about to break in. God's about to do something. And, and, and that, that good news that God heard, God looked, God saw, God was concerned, it's almost verbatim in the commissioning of Moses in, in chapter 3, verse 7, where the Lord says, I've indeed seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out. I'm concerned about their suffering. And so now I have come down. I've revealed myself to you, Moses, in this burning bush. I've come down because I, I want to break in and I want to release the people from this captivity. And friends, the good news of what we see in this text is that God is intimately involved. God is intimately interested and God is intimately invested in our lives. He is involved, He is interested, and He is invested in your life. What are you suffering of from today? What pain do you have today? What concern do you have today? What anxiety do you have today? What do you bring into this place that keeps you up at night? I want you to hear the good news of the God that we serve. He's interested, involved, and invested in what you're going through right now. That's who God is. 
And it's, he's not interested, involved, and invested because you're such a great person, because you've been so faithful. He's interested, involved, and invested because of who he is. Do you, did you see that there in the text where he, says, I've, where he said, I've remembered my covenant? You see, God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants. God's made that promise. That promise is extended to us through the cross, death, and resurrection of Christ. And so God is in covenant with us. He's made a promise to us, and He is with us in the things that bring us pain. That's who God is. So God breaks into Moses' life through this theophany known as the, the burning bush. What an amazing sight. And it, it's, a, it's a, 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 just this, this, this idea of God breaking in in this burning bush. It's just filled with so much imagery. But I think the primary thing that, that the text is wanting to convey to us is, uh, is that the holiness of God, which is often seen as distant, which is often seen as unapproachable, the holiness of God comes down into earth and it indwells this, this bush there in the wilderness. And normally the holiness of God would consume those that experience it. But the bush is not consumed. And what this text is saying is that the, the holiness, the mystery, the awe, the majesty of God, in God's grace, He comes and He inhabits our spaces. Friends, what are those moments that, that enable you to become face-to-face with the holiness of God? What are those awe-inspiring moments for you in which you're reminded of how small you are and how big God is? Have you ever stood on the edges of the, of the Grand Canyon? Have you ever just looked across that expanse and just been reminded of, of how big God is, how small we are? You ever seen the sun rise on the East Coast? Have you ever seen the sun set on the West Coast? Have you ever hiked through the Rocky Mountains? Have you ever floated the Buffalo National River? I'd put the Buffalo River up against all of those. That's what Arkansas has done to me. But we are in those moments in which we are intimately reminded of who God is. We are intimately reminded of the holiness of God. That God breaks into those moments and it's mysterious. And what God is doing for Moses and what he's doing for us is he is inviting us into that mystery. When you think about the sunset and when you think about the mountains and when you think about the things that inspire you and, and make you think about who God is, be reminded that this is the Lord inviting you in. God in his grace is saying, in this life that I'm inviting you into, it's life-giving but it's mysterious. You can't control it. You can't manipulate it. But in this life, it's good, and you can rest in it. And in this, this mysterious life that we're invited into, we find a good and a meaningful life. God takes us out of our ordinary, and he puts us into his extraordinary. And in God, we, our lives become deep with meaning and significance. And so here's Moses encountering the Lord at this, this burning bush. There are these moments where we seem so small and God's infinite greatness is brought into focus. And my friend, 
uh, an author that I, I, I read and, and I appreciate, his name's Brian Zahn. He wrote a book called Every, When Everything's on Fire. It's a funny title for a book, right? You, you, hear, you hear that title and you think, is he writing about current events? When everything is on fire. Does that sound like current events to you? Does that, even our dumpsters are on fire, it seems like. But it has nothing to do with current events. He was writing about a trip that he took to the St. Catherine's Monastery. St. Catherine's Monastery is on the Sinai Peninsula. It's in the quote-unquote wilderness where we believe this encounter happened. And Jews, Muslims, and Christians all point to this moment as a significant moment in their, in their faith traditions. And so Christians put up a monastery there in the year 550. And this monastery has been active since the year 550. And what the monks there tell us is that a worship service has been continually held there every day. They have devoted themselves to prayer and worship every day since 550. Now, only they can confirm that. Sometimes I wonder, I wonder if they skipped a day in there somewhere. They're a whole lot better with their devotions than I am. 550. I've put together some good streaks, but I've never put together a 1,500-year streak of, of, of communing and, and praying and worshiping with the Lord. But that's what they tell us. Think about that, friends. At this place where we believe the mystery of God's presence broke into human history, there's a monastery there and there's a worship service that's been going on for the last 1,500 years. And so Brian went and he visited that place and, and he left the monastery, of course, on this spiritual high, thinking about, wow, how amazing is it to be in this place where the burning bush happened and these monks are setting aside this time to pray and they're part of this tradition that's been going on for 1,500 years. This is a special place. This is a sunset. This is a sunrise. This is a mountaintop. This is awesome. This is where the, the holy breaks into the profane. But what the Lord said to him is that you don't have to leave my presence. You may leave this physical place, but I've given you the Holy Spirit. What the day of Pentecost was all about is my presence being released upon the entire earth. Jesus was bound by time and space, even when he was ministering. But the Holy Spirit breaks into our world and fills our world. God's presence is as close as the air that we breathe. And so he says, friends, everything is on fire. Everything is alive with God's presence. This God who breaks into Moses' shepherd keeping. This God that breaks into this, this, this ordinary day that Moses had where he, he went out and he was tending sheep and he was minding his own business. God breaks in. And God says, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. I've seen, I've heard, and I'm concerned. My heart has been moved by what's going on. And God wants to break into your normal, your ordinary. The fire of his presence is close to you today. And that's good news for us. It's good news for us. 
So this is a new experience for Moses. God's never quite broken in like he does here. And so naturally he objects. Lord, I mean, you want me to say what to Pharaoh? You want me to lead who out of Egypt? How in the world are we going to do this? Who should I say has sent me? Moses has all kinds of objections to what the Lord is calling him to do. And it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? To this point in our story, we've seen God do some pretty miraculous things. I mean, Genesis 1 begins with God speaks and worlds are created. Light is separated from darkness. Vegetation fills the earth. Animals fill the earth. Humanity is created by the voice of God, the word of God. We see God doing all these things. I think it would be easy for Moses to say, can't you just liberate the people like that? Can't you just snap your divine fingers or wave your divine hand? And, and can't you just make that happen? But remember our story. Remember this original vocation that was given to the man and the woman. God puts them in the garden. The text tells us that they're created in the image of God. It means that they have these this capacity to commune with God and to reflect God in ways that no other life form has. And God gives them a vocation. God says to the man and the woman, live in the garden, steward the garden, take care of the garden, name the animals. I've got a plan and I've got a purpose for you. This good creation that I have created, it's yours to steward and manage. And what we see in Scripture is that it brings God great pleasure to work for the redemption of the world through people. That God always chooses people to accomplish His divine purposes in the world. God has infinite power. God can do anything God wants to do. He is sovereign over all of creation. But how does He choose to save the world? He becomes flesh. And he walks on our earth. And he gets dust in between his toes. And he lives a perfect sinless life in the person of Jesus Christ and shows us how to love. And he works through Jesus who became flesh. And so God always works through people. There is a divine synergy at work in which God appoints men and women to specific tasks. God uses his people to accomplish his divine purposes for creation. And it's always been this way. And Moses, it's your turn now. Moses, it's your turn. I've got a mission for you. I've got something I want to do through you. Well, of course, Moses has every objection. You're going to see, see those play out in chapter 4 especially. But his initial objection might be the most important. I mean, who should I say sent me? We don't even know your name. And for the first time in Scripture, God reveals his holy name to Moses. It's this name that comes in, into the Hebrew Bible that we don't even know really how to translate. Our, our, our best guess is this. It, this holy name of God that is revealed there in Exodus 3.14 we're doing our best by saying it simply means I am that I am, or I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. 
Paul, I think, gets pretty close in the book of Acts as, as he's, he's debating with uh, philosophers. He actually quotes one of their philosophers to understand who God is. But he says, in this God, we live and move and breathe and have our very being. I mean, that is getting to the heart of, of, of what God is saying when he reveals his name. I am the source of all life. All that ever has been, all that ever will be, is found in me, is sustained in me. I am that I am. I will be who I will be. And I'll tell you what got Jesus in so much trouble. As he's revealing to the world who God is and how God wants us to love and the kind of life that God wants us to live, what gets Jesus in trouble is he's debating this with the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and he stands before them and he says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, and here it is, I am. And Jesus reveals that he is the incarnation of this God that reveals himself to Moses. Before Abraham, I am. All that you need is in me. Every deficiency that you have is made up by my presence. Every fear that you have is alleviated by my comfort. Before Abraham, I am. And God invites Moses to go forward in the full revelation of who he is. And that's what I want to say to us today. Because not just a pastoral transition, but what about the other transitions in your life? What about the loved ones you've lost? What about the job that you no longer have? What about the illness that you're facing? What about all of those situations that you do not have an answer to? What about all of that ambiguity in your life? Friends, everything is on fire. Everything is alive with God's presence. God's presence is as close to you as the air that you breathe. And this God that is near to you is saying to you, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Your future is in me. Your life is in me. Your death is in me. Your resurrection is in me. Your hope is in me. Friends, the Lord is here today. The Lord is here today, and I have good news for you. He's heard your cry. He's seen your suffering. He knows what you're going through. He is moved by your pain. And He desires to walk with you. He is a known God who reveals His name to you. He is a known God who invites you to walk hand in hand with Him into an unknown future. So what's heavy on your heart today? I know my transition to a new church is way down on that list. There's a lot of other things that are heavy on your heart today. 
And I just want to share the good news of the gospel with you. That Jesus is here. He is the great I am. He is fully present in your life. 